What's up, you mob? Welcome to this episode of The Goss, where I sit down with my father, sit down with my old man, and talk about this week's Goss. The news, current affairs, what's going on in our lives, everything like that. So, these episodes are all about talking about a wide range of different topics to allow you guys to hear all sorts of different vocabulary, to form your own opinions about these topics as well, and to hear conversations, natural conversations amongst native speakers of English and how we interact with one another. Now, if you guys want access to the full videos, the full episodes, the full transcripts, as well as the premium podcast player so that you can listen to the episode and read the text at the same time, don't forget to sign up for the premium podcast at aussieenglish.com.au. And you will also get access to all of that and more if you join the Academy, which includes hundreds of courses, three times weekly classes with a real English teacher, amongst many other things. So, guys, go check that out. In today's episode, which has been split up into two episodes, so you'll probably get one this week and one next week, we talk about a wide, wide range of different topics. We talk about family history and a really interesting story in my family with my father and his his parents, how they met. And yeah, I'll let, I'll let you listen to that story. It's a very interesting one. We talk about New Zealanders' Prime Minister and why she is probably the best Prime Minister in the Western world. We talk about pokies and why they have been shut in Australia and how much money they're saving people every single day at the moment whilst they're closed. We talk about Chinook. Chernobyl, and that there was a massive fire near Chernobyl, causing radiation levels to increase like crazy. We also talk about a mutant enzyme that is being used now to break down plastic bottles and help recycle plastics. We also touch on a few of these COVID stories as they're sort of happening in and amongst these other stories we talk about. And then lastly, we talk about a supermarket boss from the supermarket chain called Drake's in South Australia and what he did when a certain hoarder asked for a refund for 5,000 rolls of toilet paper. Anyway, guys, without any further ado, let's get into this episode, kick the kookaburra and let her rip. Before I get into the other stories that I had here, that's just made me think about um, COVID and how many different laws are being implemented by different countries around the world. Are you worried at all about countries like ours, Australia, implementing certain restrictive laws that will then later not be repealed? Not so much restrictive laws, but one of the stories I was going to throw in was this idea that the government have come up with an app that um, came out of Singapore. Yeah. Um, an app that will, by Bluetooth connections, will trace your social connections, even if you are not physically touching, speaking to, having anything else to do with people. Um, but if you're in the same proximity, and Bluetooth has a distance thing of you know, 10 or 15 metres, yep. you know, maybe more in the right conditions. This was um, a, a, an app that effectively read your Bluetooth to see how many other phones, many were, other around phones you were around that, you that stayed within 15 minutes. Yes. So, they had to have stayed yeah. within contact for 15 minutes and then it would register it and the government could use that to track people you've come in contact if you end up having COVID, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah, Singapore, which is a much more... Um, 
restricted state in state in the loosest sense than Australia is, only had a 20% uptake. And the Australian government are coming out saying, look, you know, we think this will only work if we have a 40% uptake, but we would encourage everybody to do it. And look, for me, this again yourselves. is, this again no is a solution. <laughs> I know. And that's, and I just said, yeah, uh, <laughs> Joe and I, your mother and I were talking about this last night when it came up on the news. And I just said, there's only one answer to this. It's two words. Three of the letters are F and you yeah. can fill in the rest. There is no chance that, as I reckon I'd be surprised if we get 4%, let alone 40% of Australians Jesus taking this up. Christ. And it's, it's one of those things where it's a technical solution to a problem that doesn't exist. And so this is how you get, and you know, all due respect to my IT and engineering friends, this is the solution you get when you give an engineer or an IT engineer yeah. a problem. They take all of the social aspect out of it and they come up with an IT solution. Yep, we understand Bluetooth. Here's a way that'll do it. And we understand how apps work. We'll write an app that will just suck all of your Bluetooth data out and, and make contacts with. And as long as everybody's registered, we'll know exactly who you came in proximity <laughs> with ever. And ideally, that's a nice way of saying we need to know. If, if somebody is infected with COVID, then who do they come in contact with over the last two weeks and being able to tell? Nice idea, but you cannot impose such a, an enormous privacy violation on people. Yeah, talk uh, about but, um, 1984, right? Yeah. Just Big and, Brother yeah, watching even, you. even if it was reasonable in this extreme circumstance, and I can't imagine a circumstance that could be much more extreme than the one we're currently in um, with regard to disease, even if it were reasonable then, how's this going to be turned off? Mm. You know, yes. Are you going to do, does deleting the app help? Are they actually plugging plugging something in to your phone? And this is a bit conspiracy theorist, but if you can write an app that'll do it, you can write an app that'll suck that code straight into the phone, and you can delete the app, and it's still doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, you're, first year IT student will be able to do that. And so well, yeah, you wonder, you wonder too, you, you know, if we're having these conversations in countries like Australia, what is going on in places like China and Russia and some of these more authoritarian Venezuela countries and, yeah, yeah. Where, where the government Brazil. has carte blanche to enter do whatever what it like. wants and yeah. you just, you know, deal with it. Yeah. So you worry because it was, there are certain things that we've talked about in the past. I think the um, foreign car tax that was brought in because they, the, the Australian government didn't want um, the cars that were being built in Australia, the companies that worked here to be mm -hmm. directly affected by imports. After the car industry in Australia is completely closed down and everything is built overseas, those car imports are still on all of the foreign cars. Yeah, we're so still you're paying seeing, the same tax. Yeah. yeah, any car, I think it's once it's above $60,000, yeah, it's pretty so much 90000 yeah, yeah, right? So yeah. yeah, you can't buy a car for $70,000 in Australia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you, <laughs> are there any things that could come in that you're worried about that, that would affect uh, life after this? Um, I'm actually, other than things like the app where it's not so much laws because laws can always be changed. Will, you, know, you have another election and the laws will get changed. It's more the acceptance of the, and apologies to George Orwell, the big brother approach to government of monitoring their citizens and violating privacy um, that seem to be acceptable under extreme circumstances. But once those extreme circumstances go away, those things just don't disappear. They just yeah. become the norm. That's what I'm more worried about. 
I'm actually less worried about legislation. Um, in terms of general behaviour and stuff, it'll be interesting is probably an understatement, but um, it will be interesting to to see what happens with just general behaviour. Um, well, I was going to ask you that too. How much do you think this pandemic is going to change the way in which societies interact within themselves? Because I was listening to, um, oh, what's his name? He was on Joe Rogan recently. He's a, an atheist from the US. Oh, Michael Shermer. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So Michael Shermer was on Joe Rogan recently talking about this. And he was talking about some research that was done on societies who are loose versus tight societies. So a society like uh, Japan is a very tight society. Germany is a very tight society where people conform to the rules they do as they're expected. And, you know, there's there's kind of these, yeah, tight rules throughout society that everyone mm. conform to. Loose societies are sort of the opposite. So Australia is relatively loose in terms of being, you know, relaxed. And he was bringing up a lot of information about that and how tighter societies that say, don't uh, hug and kiss one another and they have these, you know, Japan, they bow to one another, mm. they're handling the virus better um, and that this may bleed on into the future in terms of how our societies now react to this and you may end up with a shift towards tighter societies. So what do you think will happen in the wake of coronavirus in terms of human behaviour or social and cultural aspects of, of different societies? Yeah, it's... It- I think it's going to most affect people who are children and teenagers in terms of their behaviour because this event is going to have had a much more significant effect on um, their view of life than it does for you and particularly for people of my age. Yeah, In general, we're all being treated the same, but if you go back and imagine if this had happened when you're in, say, primary school and the effect that this has had. You can't go to school anymore. Um, that every time you see anything people are talking about, don't go near other people, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your oh, hands, to interrupt touch you, your face. To interrupt you there, I was almost brought to tears the other day by watching a video of a, a nurse or a doctor coming home from work and his son runs up to him wanting to give him a hug and he, he and can't. He says, He's like, no. he, he says, no, no, no. And then he, he yeah. breaks down crying on the ground. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. It's just so, so I think it's going to have an effect and not necessarily a good effect, uh, at least in the short to medium term. But in the longer term, I think it'll be... And you know, PZ Myers used to joke about, you know, if they were writing Ten Commandments, where was wash your hands as one of them? <laughs> Moses mm-hmm. got it wrong. Um, that, you know, I think that just general idea of things that we can just do as a habit to reduce the transmission of disease... Yeah, I think it'll it'll just become habit in children. That I think children are just going to wash their hands more. Um, as an example, um, I think the other thing that it's it may do, and probably not in the long term, because uh, these shock things tend to have an effect for a short term, but not necessarily forever, um, is that people will realise what they can give up and what they can live without. Um, you know, if you're sitting at home, you're not out spending money now this is going to affect our economy as well but you're not out buying things that you don't need you know, you, you'll work out what what do i need to survive is now going to be obvious to you whereas previously you you know people treated luxuries as requirements for survival so, so i think, think this is kind of, of winding people back in and getting them to I focus so. on what's really important yeah yeah so that's a um, sort of positive aspect and even the, the environment yeah and 
Well, I think the negative effects are going to be that there will be a lot less social contact. I mean, we are social beings. We're social animals. There have been studies done for 100 years or more about the positive effects of touch and, and hugging. And if people are much more reluctant to do that, I mean, you know, you and I hug when we greet each other and when we, you know, part. I'm sure you do, and I know I do, do that to lots of other people as well. Well, um, this sort we're of going ties to be more in, reluctant to do that. This ties in with the tight and loose societies because you yeah. see societies like Germany and Japan and, and to us they seem very cold mm. and, and not very loving and friendly and looser societies seem to be the opposite where they tend to be very affectionate and very open and, and very loving. The same with like Estonia. I remember... Um, my friends from Estonia coming to Australia and getting acclimated to, you know, culture here and how how they were always like, it's so weird seeing people smile at you and wave at you in the street who don't know you or, you know, just just mm. being loud and saying hello and stuff like that. And they go home and, and no one does that. You're seen as a freak if you smile or look anyone in the eye in the street. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there are, those cultural things are, are interesting and this is a, a, a an aside, but when um, when I was a child and uh, walking around the streets of Melbourne, and even then we had you know lots of non-European people living in Melbourne, and watching um, Indian men, for instance, uh, as in from a country India, uh, would walk down the street holding hands, and that was just what they did. Mm. There, there was no implication of you know, any other sexuality in there. It was just, that's what they did. Well, and we Chinese see that with girls, Chinese Asian girls, girls they yeah. will, will walk around in groups all holding hands. And you just don't see even Australians doing that. And it's and so, so funny because, yeah, I remember being at university and being like, God, there's a lot of uh, Asian lesbians here. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My friends are like, they're just friends. Jesus, they're Pete. just I'm friends. Like, that's what they do. Yeah. Women don't do yeah. that unless. You know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, and and so yeah, so there's. I, I think that's going to be one of the consequences. I, I think there's, and I'm, I'm yet to decide whether this is going to be a positive or a negative because the cynic in me says it's a positive, the realist in me says that it's probably a negative, and that is the distrust we are going to have for governments, not just our own, but governments yeah. around the world. There are some governments, and we've already spoken about Jacinda Ardern. Please, Jacinda, retire, resign, and we'll have you in Australia. Um, Jacinda Ardern aside, um, there have been very few governments, federal governments or governments of countries who have handled this well. Um, South Korea probably is an example of one who has handled it extremely well um, to the point where, and again, it's hardly a surprise, um, the way they're that tight society again. um, But they also... um, they're the most technologically advanced country in the world and that's what they rely on uh, and they rely on their people and their technology. And as soon as this came in, they just they didn't impose isolations on people. They didn't impose you know, this sort of you know, 1.5 metre social distancing or any of that sort of stuff. They just said, we're going to test everybody. Yeah. And they rapidly developed testing protocols and just put them out. So everybody knew who had the virus. And so it was, uh, so, but, but that, yeah, when we look at what's happened in um, in Italy, in Spain, in the UK, in the United States, who knows what's happening in China? Um, I think we've always had a fairly cynical view of of China, 
Um, so take them out of the equation. I think this, well, it, it why, is why do they, distrust. Why do they do that? I think you would imagine that the CCP, the government of China, would do that because they want to maintain control, not just internally but externally, oh, right? Externally, yeah. yeah, yeah they yeah, don't want to lose face. Yeah, yeah they don't. Uh, firstly, there's a cultural thing that they don't want to lose face, and that's a huge thing in uh, Asian culture. Um, is you know, and it used to be the gag of, and I've only been to Hong Kong twice, but. Uh, used to be the gag when you go to Hong Kong is don't ask anybody for directions because they will never tell you that they don't know. They'll just point somewhere and, and <laughs> because they would rather lie to you. Yeah. And tell and you they don't like know. a fool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Whereas so, that's, it's so funny because our, my way would be make sure that you tell like, it's probably because I'm a scientist as well, but it's the, acknowledge what you don't know so that you don't look like an idiot when you get it wrong and people can point out that you're wrong. And yeah. that's why I think people get really irritated with scientific answers quite quite a lot, especially in the media and yeah, science, science yeah. communication because they'll use a lot of these, I think, quite often adverbs and adjectives to say they're unsure about certain things or it's that's probable, right. yes. it's, it's likely, it's possible. And it's yeah. because they've been trained not to be definitive because you're almost and certainly going to be wrong. And the media wants point. absolutes. They, they A, they want an answer and B, they'd rather it was the wrong answer because then it becomes a controversy and then it's news. You know? <laughs> yeah. Good news is not news. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, We can move on. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Of? Of that, you know, what are you afraid of? <laughs> In terms of In the, the virus? Yeah. No, not the virus itself, but the outcomes of, yeah, let's assume that we all get over this and we will one way or another as a society we will get over this i think uh, it my might biggest take weeks or months my or years, biggest fear would be that it has a lot lo- a lasting change in terms of how people interact with one another and see mm. one another because you already feel this walking down the street of just like ooh be careful yeah. of that oh they got too close to me and i don't like seeing that in myself you know i kind of i miss maybe it was ignorant though and it is harmful to some extent not having that sort of appreciation for the fact that people mm. transmit colds and diseases that way but it was kind of a nice place to live kind of like you know back in your day i imagine when kids could go out and play in the street at the age of five without supervision and you were kind of like you know yeah whatever they'll be fine and then you have you know a, a handful of stories of children going missing or being murdered or pedophiles and all of a sudden no one lets their kids outside unsupervised mm. until the age of you know 13 or 14 even though statistically the problem isn't actually any greater and if anything it's probably less than it was oh, back yeah, then yeah 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 but you have this fear that that's yes. that's there right and not even just the fear the judgment and um you know condemnation from other people if you do that yeah oh look I know, you know i've just been yeah, writing my chapter of the <laughs> the family history story uh and writing about and I, i've used the line in um in one paragraph of the most common question in our house was what's for dinner. The second most common question was, can we go to the beach? Because we lived in a beachside suburb and within walking distance of the beach. And from about the age of eight, uh, mum would just say, yes, off you go. And so my friends and I would just go to the beach and jump on our bikes at nine or 10 and go herring around the clifftops and general creating havoc. There's no chance that even when you were eight years old, if you'd said, can I go to the beach? I would have said, yes, I'll take you. 
You know, there never would have been, yeah, just grab your surfboard and run off down to the beach. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, you well, you weren't eight years old when we lived here, but that's... Do you feel sorry that that's the case? I, I do. I, mean, I understand why it's happened. And, you know, I would feel horrified. You know, and so, you know, myself... It comes back to something, it. though, too, where you can only imagine, okay, so imagine that 99 out of 100 times it's going to be fine, but there's the one time the that one it isn't. Time. How yeah. will I live with myself if that happens? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but at the same time, I look back on my childhood very fondly of effectively having the beaches in my backyard. And, and you know, it's, I can't imagine a childhood without that. Uh, but you didn't have that childhood, even when you were growing up at the same age in the forest. We wouldn't let you. Oh, you just go down to the forest by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. No. So, uh, uh, anyway. Radiation levels rise as a fire burns through Chernobyl's former nuclear power plant, or at least mm-hmm. close to it, not through, near. No, near. So, there was a, a, a large be a whole lot of fire. radiation fallout that'll be buried in the ground that is now being, you know, released as just by... Uh, thermal yeah well it's in the stuff that's burning so it just gets sent up into the atmosphere but there's a large forest fire in an area surrounding the decommissioned chernobyl uh, nuclear power plant and um it's raised radiation levels to to really dangerous levels uh it's been going for 10 days they've had hundreds of firefighters planes and helicopters trying to put it out and it got within two kilometers of the power plant um and it was believed to have been lit I don't know if it was intentionally by by two different people or that they were just um, idiots and were burning grass and then couldn't put it out, but it was human mm. human caused, obviously. And it's a radiation risk that's been, you know, causing these excessive levels of radiation. I wanted to ask you, yeah, I guess, well, why is a fire around a decommissioned nuclear power plant a problem? Well, I think you've just answered the question yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Look, this is not just a decommissioned nuclear power plant. This mm-hmm. one was never decommissioned. This one is self-decommissioned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, do you want to talk about that first, I guess? Sorry to interrupt you, but so no, no. the years 1986 and Chernobyl melts down. What was that experience like for you learning about that and what happened? Well, yeah, it was the thing on the news every night. It wasn't quite COVID-19 but because there were other stories, but it was the first line on the news for months. Uh, yeah, when it was actually happening, we didn't hear much about it because very mm. little information was getting out of Russia, you know, the Soviet Union at the time. Yeah, the USSR, um, right? Yeah, uh, but the yeah we were hearing about it, uh, and and then uh, there were two or three events around the world at about the same time, which never got to the point of Chernobyl. But so it had been on the radar um, of, you know, of news of you know, nuclear power has a, you know, a negative side uh, and this is the risk of you know, the things going wrong in the power plant. It's so frustrating yeah. though, right? Because you, do, have you seen the TV show Chernobyl? Yeah, I have. So yeah. I watched that, but then I also watched a breakdown of the TV show to see yeah. how accurate it was because the, the ironic thing is they have a woman on the show who's the, the scientist. Yeah, she was representing a whole lot of people. She, she was representing exist. about 20 different people. And they're like, yeah, yeah. we're not going to have that many characters. No. But yeah. I, it just goes to show that whole show effectively shed a light on how much ignorance and arrogance caused this thing in the first place. And then the cover-up was effectively based on the fear of people under the Soviet Union, the leaders just not wanting to be the bearer of bad news to their person above them who effectively would just say, you know, this is not a problem. This will not be a problem. You're going to deal with this or you're dead. Exactly. 
and it's it's it seems somewhat reminiscent, right, of China and the COVID virus, where mm-hmm. these authoritarian groups are just hoping that they can just quash something that's not going to be a bigger problem. And it's like if it if it is later, we'll deal with it. But what what happened when that came out? Did you guys like at first just think, oh, there's been this horrible accident, and then find out what happened, or did it take years for the truth to come out? No, it was pretty obvious what was happening within days and weeks. Um, yeah. In a sense of yeah, like it has taken years and decades to get to the the real truth of yeah, where the individual because a lot of the individuals who were yeah. directly involved died very quickly. Yeah. Um, by exposure, <laughs> uh, and a lot tragic. of the others were just were just shuffled off into you know, prisons in Siberia, yeah. Um, yeah, ostensibly because they screwed up. But the real reason, as you said, was it's a cover up. Well, and you, it's it's so fucking annoying because you watch the TV show and you just see how many how many heroes there were. Yeah. You watch the docos and you see how many of these Ukrainians threw themselves into eternity yeah. by, by going and doing something to try and save the lives of their countrymen, like the, the miners who had to oh, go yeah, they knew they were going to die. Or whatever. They yeah. were told they were going to die and they volunteered anyway. Well, yeah. that's it. And you just like, yeah. And the yeah. firefighters, you know, yeah. you're just like, Jesus Christ. And they were all dead within days or weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, there's, there's a... Yeah, that's an aside to you know, the original question about the dangers of nuclear power plants and fire. Um, but I think there is an aside to aside to human nature that um, is unfathomable outside of those sort of emergencies. Mm. If you look at um, yeah, September 11, um, where you have police and fire people, I'm getting emotional just yeah, talking I, about. I remember running into dying. buildings, yeah. knowing they're going to die. But yeah. hoping to save people. Yeah, and we lost four hundred, right? Or America yeah. lost four hundred yeah. in the in the buildings who were just trying yeah. to save people yeah. who weren't in collapse. the buildings to start with. They went in after it had happened. And, yeah, and so yeah, I think there are those elements of people just look at it and go, "It's my time." You know, step up. Um, funnily enough, there aren't many politicians who would do the same. You know, they're the ones you know, running down the back door and shredding the documentation on the way out the building. But. Well, and they showed that with Chernobyl, I think. It tended to yeah. be the average Joe was doing oh, all was. the it's saving. The little, little guys who were the... And the guys at the top the were just trying that, to make sure they saved the their job. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it is crazy in terms of the, the fallout. Yeah. The <laughs> after... fall... Well, this is the fallout of the fallout now because yeah. we've got... the hey, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again, thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace. Peace.